Okay, thank you for coming to the Water Commissioner's meeting tonight of November 18th. Um, please note that this meeting is being televised and broadcast on our local cable channels. Uh, the first item for discussion, for action and discussion tonight is presentation and discussion regarding polyfluoroalkyl substances, PFAS, is uh, more commonly known, and an update with the Department of Environmental Protection and Department of Public Works. We have a half an hour before we start the select board meeting um, with a hard stop, so I want to make sure that we have plenty of time for questions. We're going to um, go through the presentation and then um, open it up for questions from the board first and then the public. So when people do want to make their comments in that period, please raise your hand so I can recognize you. Come to the microphone, uh, give your name and address, and ask your question, keeping in mind that there's a lot of people that have questions. So uh, we'll try not to be repetitive. And thank you, for everyone, for your patience. Um, Connor, do you want to give a brief introduction? Sure. So uh, just a two-minute background uh, leading into a presentation from DEP tonight. So uh, as the board is aware, and many of you in this room may be aware, the DEP has been working uh, through the process of rulemaking and establishing uh, regulatory standards for PER and polyfluoroalkyl substances, which is PFAS, uh, in drinking water. Uh, and that's something that they've been working on uh, at least for all of 2019, if not for more. Um, one of the things that DEP is working towards is setting what's called a maximum contaminant level, which is uh, an MCL on a part per trillion standard for public drinking water supplies. Uh, Easton has tested in the past for PFAS. We did this under UCMR3 in 2014. Uh, that's a program through the EPA for unregulated contaminants. At that time, there was no PFAS detected, uh, but that was done on a part per billion scale. Uh, so. Uh, more current testing is on a part per trillion scale, which is obviously much more refined. And so the water division has been uh, testing for PFAS in Easton, uh, I think as of the spring, under a new permit working with DEP on one of our wells. Um, initially, that well uh, had uh, part per trillion levels below 20, which is an MCL that the DEP is considering. Uh, after two or three tests, that well came up uh, over 20 uh, later in the summer, and confirmatory tests were done uh, in late summer and September uh, on all of our wells to see where we were at, uh, working alongside that with the DEP. Uh, we received confirmatory results as recently as this past week with a couple of wells showing over 20, uh, which is a standard that DEP is considering setting. And so the DEP recommended that we make public information available, advisories and notices, things like that for the public. Uh, and we asked, and we were glad uh, to say that DEP was, was willing to work with us to come and do a presentation to the public so that they could give an update on uh, this emerging area of water regulation and uh, just get some good information out there. So uh, thankfully they've agreed to join us here tonight. And so without Further ado, I would ask that our, our partners from DEP come up. Good evening. You can sit at the table if you want. Sure. My pleasure. And the microphones are not amplified, they're for cable. Okay. So that's fine. So good evening, my name is Millie Garcia Serrano and I serve as Mass DEP's Regional Director in the Southeast Region. We're based out of Lakeville. Um, first, I just wanted to at least um, thank you very much for inviting us to your town, especially to the uh, Water Commissioners for providing us with a little bit of time so we can at least provide you with a truncated version of a presentation that we have actually been um, 
providing to municipalities, cities, and towns across the Southeast region that are interested in learning a little bit more about the rulemaking that MassDEP is um, poised to proceed with, possibly by the end of this uh, calendar year. Um, this is an issue that is not just a, an Eastern issue or a Southeast region issue. It's across the Commonwealth and also nationwide territories. Um, this is the challenge with emerging contaminants. And we'd like to talk to you a little bit about um, perfluorinated compounds, PFAS, um, which is a contaminant that currently is under a lot of scrutiny, particularly by a lot of states that are currently proceeding with their very own rulemaking. Um, today we have um, Kathy Baskin, our Assistant Commissioner for the Bureau of Water Resources. She's based out of the uh, Boston headquarters office. Also we have John Hobill, who is the regional engineer. Um, he will be providing us with um, what this means for Easton. And also to support us, we have Nancy Bettinger. She's with the Risk Analysis Group in the Office of Research and Standards, which is a separate um, but together also um, office within MassDEP, providing us with a lot of toxicological and scientific support. I'd also like to acknowledge Mara Steely, who's also here from the Department of Public Health. And these are resources that we have tonight um, in case that there are any questions. So without further ado, I'm just going to turn it over to Kathy, who will be giving us the presentation on the process of the work that we've been doing on PFAS. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Um, thank you to the board for hosting us this evening. Um, I just wanted to give you a very brief overview about PFAS and what the Commonwealth is doing with respect to um, PFAS, especially with water supplies. Um, so just to bring you up to speed, there are, um, PFAS are, um, there are thousands of compounds on the order of three to 5,000 compounds that are um, in this family of compounds that were widely used since the um, 1950s. And they're um, what we think of as uh, um, products that help our um, everyday life be a little easier in terms of waterproofing, um, uh, products like Teflon, Gore-Tex, um, the sliding dental floss, products that we're accustomed to but have a water-resistant and stick-resistant component to it. Um, they are also water-soluble and they don't break down in the environment very easily. So it takes a very long time for the, them to break down. Um, a very common source that we found in the environment is um, aqueous film forming foam, or the foam that firefighters use to put out um, big fires, airplane crashes, that sort of thing. So um, the thing about PFAS that makes it, um, makes the family of um, compounds a concern is that they take a very long time to break down. So um, it, as you're ingesting them through water or food, um, they are not breaking down as quickly as you would bring them in. So they build up over time and they build up in the environment. Um, and this can cause um, it, it, some various health effects. Um, so that's the concern, is that having the PFAS in the water supply can potentially um, cause health effects. The, um, we're especially concerned about them in the groundwater and the drinking water um, supplies. 
And um, there's a lot of public awareness around PFAS that's just um, bubbling up right now. So um, we know of two movies. Mark Ruffalo is going to be in a movie coming out in a week about PFAS. So we know that there's going to be a lot more attention um, around the issue. Um, and there already has been, I know DPH and DEP have been fielding calls um, from concerned municipalities and um, residents. Um, there's a, a range of health risks, um, and it really depends on um, who's being exposed, what the nature of the exposure is, how long they've been exposed. Um, but the, the population that we are um, most concerned about are um, fetuses and infants and um, their, their moms, their, the nursing mothers, the pregnant mothers. Um, so we're trying to um, protect that um, population um, because the exposure is, um, it's not an acute exposure where, you know, in a matter of hours something would happen, but it's also not chronic so that in a matter of years something would happen, but something much shorter on the order of months. So in a developing fetus or an infant, that would be um, a significant amount of time. Um, there are, um, the health effects are, um, there are immune system effects, there are endocrine disruption, disruption um, there are possible thyroid or pancreatic cancer risks. Um, these are still being evaluated, but there's been enough science um, that's been built up to know that this is something that we're very concerned about. Um, so we have um, our, our Office of Research and Standards reviews um, the science behind um, the, the, or behind the concerns, and there are hundreds of scientific studies that are being generated on this, um, and lots of them coming into the agency that we're reviewing. The, um, there's been some work already on PFAS and in terms of where, who's doing what. The EPA, three years ago, issued a health advisory for two of the four or 5,000 compounds, and they said the sum of the two of them should be not more than 70 parts per trillion. Um, more recently though, so that was three years ago, more recently the body of work, the science that's contributing to the thinking has been bringing that number down. And so a number of states um, are moving ahead with limits that they uh, believe are, are protective and are the right number, and they are coming down. So you'll see if you graph um, you know, what the limits are over time, they're starting to decrease. And so a number of communities um, in the area, New Hampshire, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, uh, but also Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, California, are all um, taking leadership over this um, and are not able to wait for um, you know, more progress from the federal government. Um, so Massachusetts has already done some work as well. So um, building off of the EPA's limit of 70 for two compounds, um, a year ago, Massachusetts DEP issued um, a, a guideline, Office of Research and Standard Guideline for five compounds at 70. So the the sum of the five, 
um, should not equal 70 parts per trillion. More recently, though, we've been looking at the science and um, feel like that number should come down even further. Um, so we have um, two things going on at DEP right now related to PFAS and regulations. One is the um, regulation of contaminated sites, so hazardous waste sites. And we are um, proposing a groundwater cleanup standard for groundwater that could potentially be used for drinking water at 20 parts per trillion for six compounds. So we were at a, a guideline of five at 70, and now we're six at 20. Um, that's for the groundwater cleanup standard. So that's what, if, some, if there's a contaminated site, that's what it needs to be cleaned up for, for potential groundwater uh, or source of drinking water. That thinking and that science that went into that is now going over to the drinking water side of the house. So we have the cleanup people defining what's clean enough for, for potential drinking water, and now we're having the drinking water people looking at these, the same science and proposing likely the same number. So at the end of the year, what we're expecting will happen, but we can't predict the future, we don't know for sure, but we're expecting that a final cleanup standard for the hazardous waste program will come out with a cleanup standard for groundwater at 20 parts per trillion for six compounds, and we'll have a draft standard. So this will be the first time it's in law and not a guideline a draft drinking water standard for six compounds also at 20 parts per trillion. Now, if something happens and we go out with the draft, we have comments from the public or new science comes in that informs that drinking water number, that, will, that could potentially change and then inform a revision to the, to the cleanup standard. So ultimately, it will be the groundwater standard that governs what's clean enough for a hazardous waste site to be cleaned up to. Um, let's see. Going. Oh, yes. And the third thing that will happen at the end of the year, so we'll have a cleanup site for waste, waste site cleanup. We'll have a drinking water. That will be a final. We'll have a draft. MCL, maximum contaminant level, which is the drinking water limit. And then the third thing will be because it takes a while to actually finalize a regulation, so our, we would expect if we go out with a draft for drinking water at the end of the year, that probably by the summer, after we get public comment and we address that comment, it will be the summer before we have a final regulation. So in the meantime, we're taking our, our guideline from last year and revising it so that it will jive with all the other work that we're doing by the end of the year. So three things. Um, so I think I've talked a lot about this already. Um, yeah, yeah. So folks should know that um, there are, you know, the exposure is through ingestion. Um, bathing is not a concern. And while, you know, and while we're um, targeting pregnant women, um, nursing mothers as a concern, that definitely doesn't mean that um, the risk from PFAS 
would at all outweigh the benefits of um, nursing, for example. So um, nursing your baby is still much more beneficial um, than a, a, PFAS, a somewhat elevated PFAS concentration. Um, and so we have, I think I've covered all of this. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, John Hobel from, from the Southeast region is going to talk about what's happening in Easton related to PFAS. So. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm the person who works with the town quite a bit. I'm on the phone a lot with, with folks, with Jack, and I've been working through this, I'm working with Hyannis since whenever they started having problems. I think what I'm going to do is, is switch ahead to... I, well, I'm going to just, if we can switch ahead to make it a lot more sense what I go over rather than do this, because could you hit two more slides sure. so we can go to the map? Yeah. So as Connor said, uh, you did sample for UCMR3 uh, six, eight years ago, whatever that was, six years ago. Um, that was, um, had a very high detection limit because we were working off a, a, 19, a 2009 standard. What we've done at the beginning of this year, any new wells that go online, we've been wanting to have them you know, sampled and analyzed for PFAS so we know what's coming down the pike. This is um, bringing a few more samples into us other than people who voluntarily sample. So um, when the well 4R, which is up here, let me get the pointer point here. I don't know if you can tell or not, but 4R, let me see, is the button in the middle? Oh, that's it, right there. So 4R is up here. Nope, that doesn't really. Sorry, it's a, it won't show won't, up on the okay. TV, I'm sorry. Well, for those, 4R is on the right-hand side of those green dots over there. So 4R was a new replacement well because old 4 was not yielding as much. They needed a replacement well. They've drilled the replacement well. We asked them, when they put it online, to take a sample of that well. That well came back um, initially at 16.6. We always ask for a uh, confirmatory number. That sample came back at 26.7, which is somewhat different. We now we're straddling the 20 um, we're looking at. And we offered to do another, another set of samples, and also to do a set of samples for the other wells. Now, you see those kind of amoeba-like looking things that are kind of in pinkish magenta? Those are called zone twos, for those of you who don't, aren't used to talking about drinking water. These are the areas that contribute, or the, the primary areas that contribute to those wells. It's done by the hydrogeologist, knowing the geology and the like. Now, we sampled also um, the other wells that were in that with, with uh, four, because they share the same zone two, so they'd have the same similar problems that, that they would have. And we had well one at 51, well two at 27. We also sampled well six, which is the one down in the bottom with just one dot, one green dot. That one was entirely clean. And you folks sampled the other wells because you're looking to put green sand on there and did find below 20 in those three wells down there. So, um, it is, and, and you're not the only folks to have these problems. Other towns are doing this, anybody that samples it, and we're finding probably a background of somewhere between 5 and 30 generally, generally in here. So that's how we got where, where we are. We're asking you to, you know, um, it's, although all the, all the concentrations are within the current standards that we have, our current guidelines, we are moving forward, and we're asking you to put a public notice out there so that people know and can 
refer to other material that we have links to so that um, they can take the whatever efforts they want. Lastly, this is the web page where I think you are, that you are going to refer people to. It has tons of information. It's at the DEP. It's, it's on really near the front of the web pages. And I want to give you folks some time to ask questions. If you want to, sorry. We took up a little bit more time than we expected. I just wanted to close the loop by way of saying that um, I believe the town is um, deliberating or considering um, making information available also. And um, unlike what we call formal public notices, this one is, is one that it's, does not require for there to be mailings or reverse 911. So it will reside in the website. And um, as soon as we have some promulgated standards, um, there's going to be a different complexion to detections of uh, perfluorinated compounds. Um, we're always available to assist. If anybody has questions, clearly either speak with Kathy or myself, John, um, anyone from our team, and it would be our pleasure to assist. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So just, just in summary, so we had two of the wells that tested higher than 20 but lower than the 70 parts per trillion. So we are within the current standards, but when this changes to 20, two of our wells will be a little bit over. So, correct. That is correct. Um, I wrote my notes down in the order that you presented them, so they might be a little bit out of, out of order from the context, but when you were talking about the contamination sites and hazardous waste, what are the ideas that when those are discovered in Massachusetts, um, who pays for that? What happens then? So um, right now, one of the, our key goal is to ensure that we are protective of public private wells or any public wells that have this detection. Um, the 2020 program, the Mass Contingency Plan, has the Bureau of Wayside Cleanup, also based in Boston, but with regional offices. Um, Gerard Martin serves as the Deputy Regional Director. Um, that is sort of the other half of the uh, exercise here with regards to once we identify uh, the concentrations in either municipal or public or private uh, water supplies, then it's doing the fact-finding and identifying who is the responsible party. MassDEP has issued notices of responsibilities um, to those, those parties that actually are potentially liable for the cleanup, and therefore they come into our system and basically we monitor and ensure that parties are performing site investigations and cleanup commensurate with um, the new cleanup numbers that we are pursuing, which look to be 20 parts per trillion by December. At this moment, we don't have um, done that level of effort. We're just now basically working with the town and the commissioners to um, safeguard um, and at least uh, continue on a track to deal with the public wells. But um, that basically now we're actively pursuing any and all responsible parties with regards to the foreseeable future cleanup. So when you say responsible parties, if there was a manufacturing facility that used that, you, who, who would take care of going back to hold them accountable? Is that the town's responsibility Mass, Mass or DEP the Mass DEP? would issue a notice of responsibility okay. and basically um, bring them to the system for site assessment, uh, classification of the concentrations, and um, if we deem it as needing cleanup, we would pursue that. Now, up until now, this testing has been voluntary. Um, once those guidelines are established, will the testing still be voluntary for municipalities or no. mandatory? No, well, well, so Kathy's going to. Well, well, once the regulations are, are in place, um, the uh, plan is to have uh, 
municipalities sample the entry points where the water enters the system, um, uh, four quarters. There are certain ways to waiver out of that if you had two quarters at zero. And we're also being able to use any of the data you collect now could be grandfathered if, it's a, if it met the same standards and to be grandfathered for that use. So any money you spend now in, when spent properly is actually saving money that you'd be, have to spend in yeah. the future. So but by the summer, when we issue the final regulations, all of the entities will get into the system where they have to, they have a schedule in order to sample. I guess my concern is, is that the water doesn't just bubble up under Easton and stay in Easton like there's, you know, it's coming from somewhere else and going through Easton. So once communities like Easton who have been voluntarily testing are showing that they have PFAS, if it's not, if it still continues to be voluntary, what other communities are going to raise their hand and say, hey, we want to test too, because then it requires some remediation, right? So I just want to make sure that the communities around us are all required to test, because this is probably going to end up being a regional solution versus you're not going to have every city or town uh, creating a, a water filtration system or, um, you know, that type of remediation, so. Um, I think you raise a really good point. So while it is voluntary right now and we can't force your neighboring communities to uh, do the monitoring, there is incentive for them to do it. Uh, first of all, uh, the monitoring can be done potentially at no cost uh, by DEP and we're expecting, one thing I didn't get into is we're expecting a supplemental budget um, from the legislature to support $8.4 million worth of testing and grants for treatment. Um, so we're hoping even maybe this week to hear about that. So if you're first in line, you have potential for this funding. Um, but also, you don't necessarily have uh, the regulators um, acting so much like regulators, but they're more, of course, we'll be a partner regardless of where you are in the process or where we are in the standards, but um, there's, there's an opportunity for the um, communities to get ready to be in compliance, perhaps before the standard even takes effect, versus other communities that will find themselves having to respond very quickly and with um, you know, certain kind of notice like Millie um, indicated with reverse 911 and much more awareness. So uh, I think there's, uh, there's an opportunity here for the communities to get ahead of the um, situation. Okay. Any questions from the board? Start with you, Mark. I do. I have two questions. Uh, those <coughs> communities that had adverse health effects, do you know what the, the PFAS levels were in those communities? So we're not saying adverse health effects, but rather detections. Um, for example, in Hyannis, we, that's probably the most um, extreme example with hundreds. Hundreds of, of health effects. No, no. We, De detections. Okay. So um, concentrations in the water. So um, all, all we do with DEP is we ensure that the water isn't going to cause bad health effects in the future. We're a, we're a future-looking agency, not 
past looking to say is there a connection there so that that's we go and say this is this is what you should be having in your water to prevent future health events so okay so we, we we don't know the communities where there actually were adverse health effects and what the levels were right no, so we don't. I don't think that there and we do have somebody from our office of research and standards and DPH and DPH right but the, the studies that contribute to the body of science are done throughout the world mm -hmm. they're from Europe they're from, right uh, you know na nationwide studies so we don't know for example what happened to people in Hyannis mm -hmm. um, sometimes the um, but oftentimes the studies can you, are done can you go closer to the microphone I'm sorry oh, we're sorry. getting a signal they can't hear you yes so um, oftentimes the um, studies are done in laboratories with animals just like mm -hmm. um, medical uh, you know pharmaceutical pharmaceutical testing so it's not that we can pinpoint particular illnesses to concentrations in towns mm -hmm. in the Commonwealth but we have this body of science that's informing okay. the, the numbers. I just I asked the question because I'm trying to gauge where my concern is uh, I'm not a scientist so when you say 20 parts per trillion I don't know if that's enough to be uh, to have those cancer-causing events or is it 400? I, I don't know. I, That's I why think, I asked the question. I think that our um, Office of Research and Standards is developing guidelines and helping us find a value that would be protective of, of public health. Okay. Um, so they, that there's always a risk, but I, feel, I think that they feel that this is protective. Okay. So. And my last the question. Just, just, just for, the so methodology we're using is the same methodology we use for all the drinking water compounds. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, all, it's all kind of just uh, accounting. You throw all the numbers in and you come out and out comes a number. So yes, the numbers seem small, but then this is what the data is telling us. Okay. Uh, my last question is, and you may have mentioned it, have we ever tested for PFAS aside from recently? Well, back in um, the UCMR back in 2013, 2014, mm -hmm. that was required for any systems over 10,000 um, customers by the EPA, and but those detection limits were much higher. Right. I think the detection probably around. I think the total was like around 160 parts per trillion. So you wouldn't see these concentrations, you know. So we so have a. So we have, have a. I'm trying to trying to gauge. Have the concentrations increased or have they stayed? Well, the same? we don't. No, no, we no. don't know. We, so so. To be clear, so the scale has of measurement right. has changed. It so has. before it was part per billion, and they you saw ND on that table, which means not detected, correct? So at that scale, Easton's response was not detected because it was in order. Understood. So we're talking now fractions of a part per billion is so what this, is coming out from a right. part per trillion. The science today. has changed, and I think that's why we're here. Uh, the science is moving way too fast. So what the analytical eye could detect back in 2013 was here, and now the same machine with some new calibration mm -hmm. and new, now it's detecting here. So this is why we're here, because right. the lower you go, the more you will see. Right. And, so and so parts per trillion is like one grain of sand in an Olympic-sized swimming pool, is what I read. Yeah, that's that. what, that is true. Uh, in 20, I think 20 um, swimming pools. So that sounds like a very low amount. The concern is that it builds up over time, right. and so that um, it can magnify. It's not parts per trillion in your body. It might be parts per billion. And so the, um, the fact that it stays and it has a, an effect on, um, it, on fetuses and newborns is really where we're 
most concerned. Right. And could I just ask about Hyannis gets cited as a, uh, um, an example of which DEP was particularly concerned. Hyannis's levels of PFAS, to be clear for folks in the room, when you talk about different notice standards of reverse 911, they were, they were very visible on part per billion, I think, even. They, they, they were one of the few communities in Region 1, EPA Region 1, which is New England, that actually had a detection during UCMR. Right. Mm -hmm. So every, and I think it was like maybe six communities total uh, right. in Massachusetts. How long ago was so, that? Uh, 2013, 2014, 2014, and 15. 15. 15. Yeah. Three years. So about five. But so to be clear, though, so that's a scale that is a thousand times correct. That's bigger right. than what we're talking about that's here. That's correct. More in the hundred range. I, okay. More in the hundred. I would say more. It's been well. So they were on part per billion. Do we know? Well, they were. Uh, I mean, the the. The, the, it was still part per trillion numbers. I think the detection of like PFOA and PFOS was okay. was like forty and eighty or sixty and eighty. So they were they were numbers that each individual compound was above the twenty. Okay. So and as opposed to the six that you're considering right, now, mm -hmm. right. a sum of twenty or less. Right. But so that's a, a scale larger than right. what we're looking at. Right. And and the and since then the data has been coming out. Again, as, as Kathy had said, the data is proving more and more that this has, these compounds have more and more risk, right. and largely because they do bioaccumulate in your body. Right. So you pick it up, it stays, it doesn't leave. You pick it up, you keep it, you keep it, you keep it, and it right. all builds up. I, I do want to add, um, however, that unlike other emerging contaminants, um, PFAS actually um, has a proven technology, so carbon works quite well, and there are other resins. So at least we do have a path forward with regards to um, treatment, sure. um, which some communities have availed themselves to basically expending monies and um, getting treatment on or purchasing water, providing bottled water, blending, so various mechanisms to ensure that the water that's being served for the public gets below 20. And then as far as look forward, I think you had said if the final rule comes out in summer of 2020, I think what the DEP is considering is a rolling quarterly average. Is that right? So it's, yeah, it'd be an average I per think quarter, yeah, not a rolling average. All but. sorts. Right. So in the beginning, when sure. you first get going in order to assess who's contaminated and who's not, mm -hmm. there would be um, some more frequent sampling. And then depending on if you're high, you might go even more frequently, like monthly. If you're low, you could go um, much less frequently. In fact, those communities that have nothing detected and it's below the detection limit for all six compounds could potentially um, sample once every three or nine years. So it really depends on the levels that um, are found. And we don't know for sure until, um, you know, until we, we issue the draft, we get comments from the public, and we incorporate those um, responses into the final. And, and one last uh, question. Um, for the communities that are testing as part of permitting and things like that, what it was alluded to earlier that this is being found actually quite with some level of regularity on the scale. Do you have a sense of is it about half? I would say that we're probably finding. I have like 15. About 75% of the communities have at least have a detect somewhere. Okay. Matter of fact, the MWA <laughs> system is detected in their system. And I'd say, Trace, it's still there though, but I mean, they detected it. But that's what I'm saying. We're finding it everywhere. And maybe about half of those are, have a source that's over the 20. So. But we are focused, we have. Um, you know, outside of communities that are looking to expand their water supplies, where we've been focused 
we've been targeting communities where we think maybe there are potential potential sources of contamination, like they're near um, Devons, for example, or out in Westfield near uh, an Air Force Base. So there's there we've been finding it uh, more frequently because we've been looking at places we think are. Any other questions, Mark? No. Tom? Uh, just in terms of point of order, Madam Chair, was the intent that we would have some public participation tonight? Yeah, after we asked our questions. Understood. Appreciate that. So I will try to be brief. I have many questions. I think this is just the tip of an iceberg. I want to first say thank you to everybody for arranging this today. I think it's a very important issue. It's clearly concerning the residents in our community. So I thank you now for your engagement, but I also thank everybody going forward because I think we're going to have a lot more questions. I know I do, and I won't be able to get to them all tonight. The one question that I would like to add pointedly is, I believe you mentioned that the detection levels had started first loosely on two of these chemicals, and then it extended to four, loosely then to five, and then to six. But I believe I heard that this is out of perhaps four or 5,000 similar type compounds. Is that true? Um, that is true. And I'd say, except for the four part where you had the, so it's gone from two at EPA Understood. To five, yes. I appreciate but that. The, 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 but the of thousands of compounds, yes. We're and saying there less are, than There 10. are compounds that are being used today um, that, um, you know, the ones that. Um, Sorry, if I could, I just yes. want to get to the pointed question because yep. I'm sensitive it's already 10 okay. minutes past yes. our time. Um, we're, gonna, so, we're still going to let questions for the public. Um, we're just going to try to move it quickly. If it's less than right now 10, right now I believe it's six, mm -hmm. out of four or 5,000. Why should I not be concerned about the other 4,000 or 5,000 variants that are out there? It's based on the chains. So the short change ver chains versus the long chains. And um, making that distinction, basically, um, a proxy has been selected for the various categories. So, so some compounds are less toxic than others, and as you said, the short, short chain compounds, they tend to be extreated uh, greater. And also, we've keyed in on, on compounds that are most commonly produced. So although there may be esoteric uses for some of these other chemicals, it's not in the large production values that you would see. So we're keying in on the large production values. Senator Nancy, oh, yes. we have, we have Thank you. Nancy Bettencourt from our Office of Research and Standards who looks at the, the science here. Thank you. Yes, I don't think we're saying that you shouldn't be concerned about those other compounds. Um, there's not data on many of them, on, on most of them. There just isn't data. Sure. Uh, the, the compounds that we're focusing on right now, we have an EPA method to detect them. Um, they are very close in structure to the compounds that were found to be problematic in UCMR3. They're compounds that we are seeing quite prevalently. Um, so it's a matter of focusing on what we know and, and um, what we can do about it. Thank right you. Now. I, I appreciate that. That's constant. I apologize. I did not mean to, not, to oh be no. brief. I just no, really fine, sure. I'm trying to understand. It sounds as if this is almost the tip of what we know and what we knew at the beginning was two and we've gotten smarter and have better capabilities and now that's grown to six. But it is perfectly feasible that it could grow to more compounds that are sure. concerning, even if they are less prevalent, perhaps due to the amount of use that they have. And availability of data. Availability. Um, I do have many more questions on this issue, Madam Chair, but I'll concede in the point of time. But I do look forward, hopefully, to having a discussion on this topic at some point in the future sure. mm -hmm. that we could re-engage. All right. And you know what? If there are questions left over, will you send them to me and we'll compile them and we'll get answers? Perfect. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you. Craig? 
Yeah, Kathy, you, you mentioned that there's a potential supplemental budget of $8.2 million uh, pending at this point for testing. Um, now, what about if a community wanted to proceed with the carbon filtering? Is there money going to be available from the Commonwealth There will for be that? some money for that, too. So the supplemental budget has three parts to it that we are, of, we are particularly interested in, $8.4 million. 6.4 of that will be for testing of public water supplies. One million will be for testing of private wells. And one million will be for design, for grants for design for treatment in $100,000 chunks. So for example, if Easton were to decide to um, design a plant to remove or reduce the concentrations of PFAS, it could be eligible for one of those grants. In addition, we have, um, we are hopeful that there will be $20 million in the state revolving fund, which normally, that's a loan program at 2%, but the $20 million would be allocated for PFAS at 0%, which is like getting about half of your financing for free. And then finally, the last um, piece of this is $35 million additional funds put into the drinking water state revolving fund program. So not tied directly to PFAS, but certainly able to be used for PFAS. So that's just the tip of the iceberg of what is needed, but um, we know that, that you know, that's a significant, um, uh, uh, it's, it's a big commitment on behalf of the governor to get moving in this, to discover and start working on the problem. And if, if we were to do this um, carbon filtering, would we have to do it at every single well, or is there a way to do it centrally located, or how do you do you, that? You, well, I mean, it seems like right now all your wells, uh, they're individual entry points. The green sand, um, the green sand wells that you designed in green sand for, which is seven, three, and the other one, five, those are going to be piped into one location. So those could be treated at one location. You can you know, you can move everything into one location and treat it there, or you can treat it at the wellhead. You could also just treat the higher wells and then blend the blend other water with that to get below the 20. So you wouldn't have to put treatment on all the wells. You, we just want to see that the entry point is below 20. How you get there is up to you. And that would be the compliance point. Okay, thank you. I have other questions, but I'll... Sure. I'll... No, I'm good for now. I look forward to the public questions. All right. We'll have uh, Kyla, if you want to come first. Thank you. Kyla Bennett to Chickadee Lane. I'm also the science policy advisor for public employees for environmental responsibility. So if you read the Boston Globe last week, the Lowell case, that was mine. The AIR case, that was mine. I've been working on PFAS for quite some time now and um, I actually tested Easton's water on my own last spring and found at the high school bubbler and found over 23 parts per trillion. This is very disturbing to me for a number of reasons. First of all, you had said that possibly the standard will come out by the end of the year. We've been hearing all year long that it will come out by the end of the year. Can I get some reassurance that this standard is going to indeed come out by the end of this year? We are on track for December 2019. Okay, because part of the problem is this. This is not just an Easton issue. This is an issue for every municipality in this state. Correct. And 
when you said 75% are probably have trace or more, I, I bet you it's higher. And for most of these towns, we don't know where it's coming from. Because Easton, we don't have a firefighting training facility. We don't have an Air Force base. And yet we have 51 point, whatever that was, eight in one of our wells. Where is that coming from? I mean, I think I know some of the sources. But you're going to find it, I bet, in about 80% of the towns. And you're going to have 80% of the towns, once this standard comes out, clamoring for money. Because the town of Ayr, their filter, filtration system costs $9.5 million, and they're a town of 7,500 people. We just passed a new school. We don't have an extra $10 million sitting around. I also take issue with, oh, GAC is going to take care of it, granulated activated carbon. It doesn't take care of the short chain ones. And the short chain ones are just as dangerous. Some of the, the information is coming out. You guys know that Harvard School of Public Health said maybe one part per trillion is safe. ATSDR said one part per trillion. Linda Birnbaum from NIH, she said 0.1 part per trillion. So while I appreciate the 20 parts per trillion that you're coming up with, we need it as soon as possible. Because we happen to be one of the first towns that's in this position that knows what we have out there, other than the towns that are near the Air Force bases, other than the towns like Stowe, which, because they're firefighting, we're one of the first ones. And to say, you have an advantage to testing because maybe you'll be one of the first ones to get money. That's not comforting to me at all um, because there are 351 <coughs> potentially, well, minus the MWRA towns, there are a lot of towns out there that are going to need filtration systems that are very, very expensive. And we need your help because EPA has forsaken us. The, Trump's EPA is not going to do anything here. You know that. We all know that. And states are finally coming out with standards. New Hampshire's getting sued by 3M for their standard. So I know it's not an easy thing for you guys to do, <coughs> but we need your help. So um, a lot of angles that we could definitely have a, spend a lot of time together. I invite you to come to my office or I can meet with you. It would okay. be really something that I'd be more than happy to do. I will take you up um, on that. Definitely. And um, I will say, though, there is definite commitment from the Commonwealth to get in front of this issue. As Kathy described, we have a supplemental budget. Um, there is a lot of awareness. Our department basically meets every week, every Thursday. We have a, a meeting with the commissioner who basically reports directly to the secretary and the governor's office. The challenge here is the change in science and mass DEP akin to other states across the nation are banding together to ensure that we can get as much public policy around the issue of emerging contaminants. Um, as a public health person with a master's in public health, boy, I wish we had lower numbers. That's always our wish list. But we also have to balance policy concerns, cost, um, feasibility. So we don't want to set ourselves to fail. And in the meantime, we're trying to promote a number that's low enough based on what we have coupled with some kind of financial around it, community acceptability. So we want to have a balanced number so that we don't set communities to fail. I, and I, I'm, this is my last question, because I know other people want to speak. But I, while I appreciate that, the fact remains <coughs> that unless and until we have a regulatory standard, this town is not going to want to spend $10 million on a filtration Three. system. And the fact remains that the levels that we have now Whatever health risks exist now with people drinking the water is the same health risk that's going to exist once you come out with your MCL. So we are in danger now, and your solution is let people know on the website? I mean, 
No, no, no. We have it. Oh, no. Literally, that this is, for the most part, all we do, considering 100 programs that the department manages from landfills to air to water, wastewater. When I tell you it's here to stay, it's here to stay. MassDEP is here tonight. I want to thank the leadership from your town. We've been working um, proactively, but it's that healthy tension with regards to we do not have a standard yet. We have been working through the Mass Water Works Association and other agencies and associations just to get the word out. Um, but this is a tough challenge, and we need to collaborate together. We are fully cognizant of um, the concentrations when there's been voluntary work. Immediately, we have been assisting to ensure that we can find rapid solution. And um, we're not going to go away. We're here. Um, basically committing resources, time, energy, to make sure that people are drinking water that is commensurate with the standard that will be coming out in December. So, but people from Easton will be drinking this water from now until whenever you come out with that standard. I think that's um, the challenge with emerging contaminants. And the minute that we had an opportunity to get together, I want to thank everyone here. There was a concerted effort to get us all together and start spreading the word. A lot of communities have not reached out we are proactively working with them and flagging the issue. So I just want to at least say thank you, Easton, for having us here tonight. And the dialogue is not going to end tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions? Valerie Frank. I live at 158 Elm Street. Um, let me see how I can put this. Recently in Easton, um, we put in a uh, brand new turf field for at the high school. And um, I'm aware that the, um, when it was tested for PFAS, we found that, that it was 300 parts per trillion that the turf was made with PFAS, essentially. And um, I guess I'm wondering what you think the effects of that will be. It's uh, very, I believe it's really close to the pink area on your map. Is that right? And, um, and I'm, I just wanted to hear from the Board of Selectmen about uh, how you feel about our decision now to put that turf in um, when we now know it's 300 parts per trillion. So I'm going to uh, ask you to answer the first part of the question, but I'm not going to get into the rehashing of the field. That's, that's not something that's in the purview of this board, and it's a little further off topic than I want to do at tonight's meeting. But you can certainly feel free to, to answer. Um, that's, you know, turf throughout the whole, the whole state is going to be something to need to be examined. Right. So. That's something that's been raised as a concern elsewhere also. Um, I know in Franklin, for example, um, but it's not known what the um, leaching potential, how much of that degrades and goes into the groundwater and contaminates a drinking water source. So um, we don't know. Certainly there are a lot of sources of PFAS. Um, that's not a source that we've targeted as a likely hot button source. Um, so we aren't looking at all of the uh, fields that have um, industrial, landfills, air emissions from incinerators, sludge applications. So other other um, sources that are more con more concentrated have higher levels and also are more likely to get into the groundwater um, yeah. more quickly but Valerie I'd like to take your name so I can research the issue mm -hmm. and um, definitely we have a network of scientists across the nation we work with the SWAMO we work with all these other entities and agencies and we have contacts and I would certainly like to look into your question Thank you. yeah mm -hmm. 
Great. I'm Megan Gancher, 11 Wagon Wheel Drive. Um, I just want to know if there is, do we, is there a recommendation to test all the water fountains in the schools? If it's, if it's in the high school, I would like to see something that we're testing the other water fountains and what other systems are doing about that. I, I think it was Stowe that shut all the water fountains down and brought yeah. in all the bottled well, water. Is that bottled water any better? Stuff well, just really. as a clarification, Stowe does not have a public water supply, so they don't have a steward over the entire, the, each um, entity has its own well. And so that's part of the issue there, is they have to test at all these different locations. Um, and they did close down a couple of school, the water at a couple of schools. Um, you have the benefit of having a public water supply that's, um, that's got a, a board of commissioners who are stewards for the municipal supply. So um, what's coming, what's detected in the well is related or what's in the school is related to what's in the well. And so if they're testing at the well, then you would know essentially what is at the school. Um, so in terms of bottled water or alternatives for right now, um, there are, um, bottled water is a solution. We do on our website have some um, some bottling companies that have tested and come out clean. It's not always the perfect solution. There have been cases where bottled water also contained PFAS and there was a company um, up on the North Shore that closed down recently because mm -hmm. of that. So um, that isn't that is a s possible solution, but um, you know you want to do some research first. I would just like it to be, go out to the community that this might be something that parents want to know what their kids are drinking. And that's why we wanted to be proactive and have the EP in tonight for this. So I know that, um, you know, Kyla had brought forward to me months ago about PFAS. I'd never heard of it before. A lot of our colleagues and other boards in other towns, um, I work with a lot of environmental groups for my day job. People, people haven't heard of this yet, right. so it's really important. I feel like we're, you know, out in front of most, most communities and being proactive about it, and that's part of that. We're going to talk about what we want to do moving forward, um, but also I'd recommend to everybody to go on these websites and look at them because we have to look at things from a public standpoint, but there's also things that you can do in your private life. Like, you know, that some of the things that um, you're exposed to that I didn't even realize, like wax on your skis that gets into the snow. Um, like you said, dental floss, um, the, pack the waxy packaging on your fast food. Like there's things that you can change in your own personal life to get a head start on this. And hopefully we'll be able to, you know, collapse on the rest of it from a public standpoint. Um, but like I said, we have to work alongside the communities around us too because, it, you know, we can't fix it here if the communities around us aren't. So we, it really is going to be a regional and a statewide plan for that. And, um, you know, hopefully we can lead that. And, and so thank, that's thank you. I'm sorry, so we have to go pick up our daughter. So I, will be quick while you're walking out. So, so really quick, one of the things that we 
always want to do when we bring an issue forward and want to talk about it, and I give DEP credit for coming tonight uh, to borrow Millie's term, you know, these meetings can be tense. These are challenging things to work through, especially when it's an emerging issue. Um, and so one of the things that we wanted to do as part of a public notice that was suggested by DEP was to include, well, what, what are the next steps for us and what are we going to do? And so we're obviously going to continue working with DEP, continue uh, the testing uh, that's necessary. So we, this presentation will be made available on our Water Division website. We will start posting all the test results on our Water Division website. Um, right now, the average of our test, two out of seven wells were over that 20 uh, MCL level that the DEP is considering. None of them are over the EPA health advisory standard yet. Despite that, um, we want to you know, make options available to folks who have concerns. Obviously, health concerns are things you want to talk to your doctor or your pediatrician, but we're going to offer a rebate program through the Water Division so that folks who get uh, a certified PFOS filter for in-home can get a rebate off of their water bill if they would like um, uh, for $75, which will not cover all of it, but will cover a part of an under-faucet PFOS filter, so that if folks do have a particular concern about that, um, that we are working with you to do what you want to do for your family uh, while we continue to work with DEP as the science evolves. Um. And I just want to say that at least, um, you know, this is one of the most difficult sort of conversations because we have a situation where we are not in control to every single exposure. But any little bitty um, action that we can do, and particularly with the water board, caring about our water quality, that will basically take care of that one exposure pathway. So I just want to say, um, you know, Mass DEP, uh, what we can control really boils down to water, perhaps sludge, <laughs> question mark, um, wastewater. So there are various different pathways, but um, some of the other pathways we, we are not right now um, basically have a control over. But anything that we can do with regards to um, lessening the exposure, um, it's really, you know, it's a gain. But as a public body, we can be advocating to our legislators to stop the manufacturing process that allows for PFAS to be in involved Absolutely. in the first place. So, um, you know, what other, other states have allowed um, these things that, um, these policies to take over and stop certain manufacturing. And I think that's something we could. Produce a responsibility and other yeah, collectively pieces like that. that. Did you have a question? Yeah, Come on up. Uh, Stephanie Patrick to Nolan Street. I just was wondering in the meantime, because it seems like it's going to take a while for all of this to happen, what about um, putting in refilling stations in the schools um, with a filtration system that would, you know, help? Because first of all, people are using reusable water bottles, and then they also have the filtration that would protect them in the meantime. Well, this, is, this sounds like it's going to take a while, and I don't think we really, you know, should wait. So that's just. Thank you. That's a good idea. Thank good you. Idea. Anybody, any other questions? Mark? So what, you have to get up to the microphone. Name and address. Mark Carpentier, Adam Street, Easton. So typically, what's the path to protection for this? You know, we're looking at reactionary, putting in filters. But down the road, I mean, how do we protect against this stuff even getting to the environment? Because with what Dottie's saying, you know, I work in one of these industries, and I can tell you that those waxes are everywhere. That stuff is in, it's in every lubricant that we use for everything from bike chains to skis. Teflon is everywhere. You know, it, it, we're, we're seeing proof of Teflon 
just from cooking supplies contaminating our water. I mean, this is a really big picture thing. Yeah. I mean, how long would we expect to see, you know, what would be the, the kind of the life, life cycle of getting that taken care of? Good question. Yeah. I want to thank you for that question. I mean, I think um, we are doing our part with regards to the water quality. That's the first piece right now. I know that um, there's always litigation that happens outside um, the DEP offices. Um, and so I, I think awareness is the number one issue. And clearly, no exposure equals no risk. So at least having that knowledge-based um, um, dialogue Clearly, as Kathy mentioned, November 22nd, there's a movie coming to our theaters. I think that's going to raise a lot of awareness. Um, MassDEP is prepared to answer questions, working directly also with Department of Public Health. And I think the best, um, the best advocate really is the conversation and knowledge. That's what we're here. We're trying to at least have this exchange. As we noted, this is not the first um, of many exchanges, I'm sure. But creating that awareness that should not just reside in this, in this particular room, but also outside. So is there a place where the buck stops? Is it the DEP? Is it the EPA? I mean, who would have supreme authority over all of that? Well, on the uh, drinking water, if MassDEP promulgates a standard, which we intend to, then that becomes the rule for Mass, um, whereas the number will be more protective than the federal government. And I think that's been the re that's really the reason why so many states are going um, through their own promulgation process and rulemaking process to come out with numbers that are much lower than the ones that we have right now. Um, so I think we're starting with the drinking water pathway, with the soil pathway. There, we will also have some cleanup numbers for soil. Um, I know Massachusetts, we've also tested for cranberries um, three years consecutively, again, because there were some concerns about, in the Cape, groundwater that was upwelling into the cranberry bogs. And clearly, that's an um, economical issue, economic issue for um, the ocean sprays. And they wanted to be sure that the cranberries were safe to eat. So we did some of that analysis, and thankfully, this particular compound does not um, make it past the actual um, the actual coating of the berry. So uh, it does not um, find its way inside the berry. So we are just analyzing and making sure that any information that we have is available on the web page mm -hmm. and providing those results. And just to add to that, so um, Millie indicated we we work on the water we work on soil we work in the environment so there are other places for exposure and i think you were asking about that also and that's where she was saying it's public awareness that that may build up momentum um, where others who have um who have control over manufacturing for example or have control over consumer products may get involved um, that's not an area that we would get involved, but um, certainly public awareness would help build that. Just to add to that, that the that two of the major compounds are no longer being produced in the United States. EPA signed a an agreement, voluntary agreement, with the six manufacturers of these compounds to stop manufacturing. I think it was probably four or five years ago, maybe six or so years ago. So they're no longer being manufactured. Problems occurring are number one, there's no ban on their use. Number two is stockpiles are still out there and you can still get them from foreign countries. 
So you know, the, the and one of the one of the one of the way we do the risk assessment is to determine what your exposure is from drinking the water. And Nancy, if, if I'm wrong, let me know. But the calculations show that only 20% of your exposure is from the drinking water. So 80% of your exposure is from other things you do every day. So to, to as it's the knowledge and to avoid those activities, avoid buying those sort of clothes, those materials, and bring them into your house is kind of the way to do that. We're doing our part with the drinking water, with other exposure, cleaning up the sources of stuff that we can in the environment we find. But there's a lot of, lot of it out there. Contributing sources. So moving forward, th those are things that people should think about, like when they're buying furniture and carpets, you know, Correct. Th that you are exposed to every day. Okay. Right, and um, just to not complicate it, but just awareness, we're also learning from other states. For example, North Carolina uh, decided to, the, this company, Kimors, decided to um, switch out a product, so they did product substitution, and that particular product um, was worse than PFAS. So we're learning, um, we're sharing information. Um, I really, Valerie and Kyle, I really invite you to call me, reach out to me. Um, definitely we want to have a proactive campaign of knowledge so that as consumers and residents um, of the town of Easton and beyond, we can actually be able to talk to our children, talk to anybody that has concerns, and at least start putting the pieces together with regards to safeguarding ourselves and not creating hysteria, but really working with that knowledge base that we can impart. All right, well, thank you very much. We really appreciate you coming down um, and being proactive with this discussion. <coughs> I just want to um, specifically thank our DPW and Water Department. They've been very um, proactive in this as well. Um, Connor, for your team, and you know, for the public, for Kyla, um, sending me all those gazillion articles on PFAS. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, that's I great. Appreciate yeah. no, I appreciate it. No, I'm joking, but I appreciate that because it helped me to learn more about it. And so the people, the members of the public, Keep the questions coming. If you have questions after tonight, send them in. We'll, we'll uh, aggregate all the questions, the board members that didn't get to ask everything, and we'll make sure everything does get asked and answered. We'll put this stuff on the website. And uh, thank you, everybody. It's a Welcome. really important topic. Thank you for thank the invitation. Thank you very much. much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. So we have two more items on this agenda, just to vote on the minutes dated April 24th, 2017, of which uh, nobody here was on on the board then except for me so um, if somebody would like to make a motion and a second to accept those minutes so moved second craig and tom all in favor unanimous next um the minutes of april 8th 2019 so moved second tom and craig all in favor unanimous and with that um we'll take a motion to adjourn the water commissioners meeting so moved second craig and tom all in favor Unanimous. We're going to take a five minute recess while we change the dynamics of the room. So, Notice. thank you, Wayne. Uh,